0: All right, all right. Well, we have been in the series God of the Underdogs for the last couple of weeks, and we have uh, community groups that coincided with that. And so if you've joined in with one of those, that is an awesome, awesome thing. So hopefully you've taken advantage of that. If you've not, uh, the groups are um, on a clipboard out in the foyer. You can look through those groups. We have groups on Monday nights, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and Friday nights. And uh, so be sure to go look at those, sign up for one, get involved with one. It's not too late. You haven't missed out. And so we've got three weeks left in this community group and in this series. So get involved in a group this week. Well, throughout this series, God of the Underdogs, we've been talking about this word underdog and how we just, there's something about an underdog that we're all drawn to, right? I mean, an underdog is one of those things, especially in the sports world, that, we, uh, that, 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 that you take notice of and you root for that underdog. And we talked about some of the greatest underdogs in sports history the first week. We talked about Buster Douglas versus Mike Tyson uh, back in 1990, uh, which is like, it seems like it wasn't that long ago, but yet it is that long, long ago. ago. And, uh, and then we talked about the miracle on ice and, uh, and, and, and about Team USA defeat in Russia and the Olympic games and how Al Michael said, now I truly do believe in miracles. And so there's something about an underdog that we're drawn to, and I believe it's because a little piece of, uh, 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 of us want that underdog to win because when we look inside of ourselves, we realize that we are underdogs, right? All of us are underdogs at some point in our lives. Maybe you feel like an underdog today. Maybe you felt like an underdog in your past, But I believe that all of us have felt like an underdog in one time of our lives or another. And because of that, we're drawn to it. Maybe when you look into the mirror, you see any number of excuses as to why you could, could not or should not be the one who accomplishes something great. And throughout this series, we're really challenging all of us as underdogs to rise up and to face our underdog excuses head on and get moving full steam ahead in the direction to seeing our dreams come to life, to seeing our destinies get that much further down the road. You see, every person God chose to use in a great way in the Bible was an underdog. None of them had their act together. In fact, sometimes we read about their story and it's like, I can't even believe God even wanted to choose a guy like that or a girl like that. But yet he did because guess what? We're all underdogs. And so God chose to use people in a great way that were underdogs. Every person that God used in scripture had a justifiable excuse for why he or she could not or should not be used by God to accomplish great things. So in week number one, we talked about the excuse, I'm not qualified. And we talked about the life of David and how when David was a, was, was, a, was, a, was a young man and Samuel came to Jesse, his father's house, to anoint the next king of Israel, his dad didn't even think that he was worth the roll call. And, and, and so David could have had this excuse that I'm not qualified because my dad did not see something in me. And yet David overcame that and he became the greatest king Israel had. Then last week we talked about the excuse that my past is too bad. And we talked about the life of Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. And he was persecuting the way he was persecuting believers. And we talked about how to get over our past is is that we have to have an encounter with Jesus first and foremost. That we can't stay on the floor. We can't stay on the mat, if you will, because we feel like our past is too bad and that we cannot overcome it. we got to get up. We talked about Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road and how when Jesus knocked him off of his camel, he was sitting there on the floor, and yet Jesus told him what? He said, get up. And so we have to get up. And then we have to realize that our pain can become our platform so that's what we talked about last week. The excuse that we're looking at today is that nobody recognizes my potential. Have you ever felt like you had what it took? You had the right skill set? Maybe you had the solution for the problem at hand, but nobody recognized your potential? Have you ever been in a room where you felt like that? Where somebody has not recognized your potential? You see, today I believe that for a lot of us, we are all underdogs with unseen potential. Now, I, I, I shot a little Facebook video yesterday to invite people. I don't know how many people actually watch that stuff, but there was something that I said. I said you'd be surprised at who could have had this excuse that nobody recognized my potential. And that person is Jesus. You realize Jesus could have used that excuse. I mean, if you think about Jesus, for 30 of his 33 years on this earth, he had limitless potential to heal, to teach, and to change the world, and yet it was completely unseen to everyone around him. Even his parents did. not see I And mean, if you think about Jesus, he lived on this earth for 30 years. 100% man, but also 100% God. And yet nobody saw his potential. Jesus could have very well have leaned into that 100% man portion of himself and could have said, you know what? Nobody recognizes my potential. In Luke chapter 2, we read about the only record or the only recorded story of Jesus between being a baby and being 30 years old when he approached public ministry. And that was when he was 12 years old. So let me give you some background information into this. First of all, he was 12. And his family was making the yearly trip to Jerusalem for Passover. That's what people would do. They would would, uh, uh, make the trip to Jerusalem. You, you, You can imagine that this was like the greatest family reunion on earth at this point in time. When Passover happened, everybody would load it up, go to Jerusalem, and they would just have a big celebration about Passover, where they would remember the exodus and so that's what this whole thing was about and so you know think about how it it, it feels to go on vacation with your family to go somewhere that you always enjoy going And, and, and it would have been sort of like this where mary and joseph would have you know been packing it up getting ready to leave and they would go into jesus's bedroom and would say, all right, Jesus, it's time to go on the yearly trip to Jerusalem. And you could probably imagine the excitement that was on Jesus's face, you know, because this was an opportunity to go to Jerusalem and celebrate something very significant in the history of Israel. And uh, so they go to Jerusalem, they experience the celebration, and now they're headed back home. And they all like to carpool, obviously. Nobody liked to travel alone. Nobody nobody traveled alone back then. And so they're they're going home and they're in this caravan. And and somewhere along the way, they realize that Jesus is nowhere to be found. Now you can imagine the panic that sets in. I mean, for all of you parents. Now don't raise your hands because then you're just admitting. But have you ever lost a child? Have you ever lost a child? You see, when we take our kids anywhere in public, they always like to play hide-and-go-seek. And it's not that we have said that we're playing hide-and-go-seek, it's just with what happens. They love when you go into clothing stores and then they get in the middle of the clothing racks and then you can't find them and all this kind of stuff. Although I remember when I was a young lad, getting lost in Disney World, I was in uh, Downtown Disney before they changed it over to Disney Springs, and I got lost. I was just totally lost. Now you can imagine. I mean, it's one thing to be lost in a J.C. Pennings or a Kohl's or a belt, but it's another thing to be lost at, at Downtown Disney where there's just thousands of people. And in that moment, you know, the parents, my parents are freaking out. I'm freaking out, I'm crying, I'm thinking my life's over. You know, you just think your life is, is to an end. But we've all had those moments in our life where either we've lost a kid or you've been lost yourself. And so, but but what, what strikes me is, is that it was days before they figured this out. I mean, it's like, what what is this? like, I mean, you know, no, none of us would ever imagine, uh, well, I mean, maybe not, maybe, but I mean, like, just send your kid out for a week and Hopefully they'll show back up at the house. I don't care where they're at. You know, maybe seven days go by and then you finally ask yourself, where's little Johnny? I don't know. I mean, maybe he's still over at his friend's house. But that's what happened. They get days into their trip home and they figure out that Jesus isn't with them. So we pick it up in Luke chapter two, verse 43. It says, after the festival was over while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. I'm about to give you a little bonus, all right? So I won't charge you for it. But here's the thing. But they were unaware of it. You see, this is where I feel like a lot of us might be in our walks with Christ. Is where we've been walking with Jesus. We've had Jesus and now he's nowhere to be found. And we're just not, we're unaware of it. And I tell you, we, we have to get to a place where Paul said in Romans it's time to wake up. We as the church have to wake up. We have to realize that, you know what? We better be aware that Jesus is around us. And I've said this a time or two, but guess what? Jesus never moves. He's always there. So if he's nowhere to be found, you're the one that's moved. He stayed in Jerusalem and yet you moved. We have to get to a place where we are not unaware that he is not there. And in verse 44, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They, after they even became aware that he was nowhere to be found, they just continued to travel. I mean, like, like this is ludicrous to me. I mean, like, if I'm married, okay, let's take it from, or, or, well, that, that might... I might fluster a little bit some women here today so let me just speak from Joseph okay so Joseph had the dream okay he was the one that God came to in a dream and said this is going to be the boy's name Jesus alright so Joseph was the one that named him I mean after you've had all of this don't you think your child is something a little bit special enough to where you're not going to lose him but yeah that was 12 years ago think about this for a minute that was 12 years ago I mean, for some of you in this room, you might might have been saved 12 years ago. But are you still aware that Jesus is around? So they continued to, to go, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. At verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now, if you read Scripture and you come across the word astonished, you know, most of the times, we're going to think about that in a positive sense of the word, right? And that I'm just, wow. I mean, look at my son. Isn't he doing great things? Right? No, that was not the astonishment that they were talking about. In fact, his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Now, all the parents in the room are saying, I would absolutely do the same thing. How dare you run away from us? And now we spent three whole days looking for you. Am I the only one that, like, do y'all? So if your kids ran around for three days and you didn't know where they were, you'd just be like, oh, that's okay, baby. Just come on back home. No, 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 no. You're getting up in their face and you're wearing them out. Just, I'm telling you. You don't believe in spanking, you believe in it now. Because I promise you, your hand is finding on the backside because you are saying, that is never happening again. Son, why have you done this? I mean, like I can insert myself in this story. I can hear myself saying it. In fact, we went to Disney one time because that's my wife's favorite place in the world, except for this place right here. And so, like, we're there, and, like, I guess it was two trips ago, but it was like, it, it, it's, it's a bad, it's a bad thing. Yeah, it's bad. But anyway, we were there, and uh, the whole thing was, is, where's Gavin? Like, Now, Gavin's my middle son, okay? and He's my only son. I got three kids, two girls, one boy, he's in the middle, God bless him. So anyways, he, he it, the, the whole thing became, where's Gavin? Because Gavin's just, you know, la da 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 I mean, like, no care in the world, doesn't care where we're at, he's just taking his own time, his own sweet time, but when you go to Disney with Christina, you better go ahead and put on your running shoes, because, uh, baby, you are going from ride to ride, this to that, gotta get a churro here, gotta go get the Mickey ears over there, I mean, it's like, I mean, there is no time for rest, there's no time for lollygagging around, I mean, we gotta get things done, right? You gotta get things done! And yet all we got to hear is, where's Gavin? Where's Gavin? Where's Gavin? And so like you can imagine, that's what Mary's doing. Jesus, why are you treating us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now don't miss this. Jesus' parents were astonished, but not in a good way. They weren't astonished like everyone else was that was listening to this 12-year-old Jesus they were astonished by what they perceived as his thoughtlessness and his carelessness towards them. Rather than seeing his potential in this moment, they chose to focus on themselves. Son, why have you treated us like this? Instead of recognizing the potential that was in their son, he was in the temple, he was speaking things that were just causing men who had been under the law and studying the law and and, and for years and years and years we're talking about men that had the first five books of the Bible memorized in His presence. You would think like if anybody knows something it's these guys and yet their jaws are to the ground because this 12 year old is speaking things that is beyond their comprehension, beyond anything that they would ever be able to speak and yet their parents are more concerned about themselves than about their son. And look at what Jesus' response was in verse 49. Why were you searching for me? Now if I'm Joseph, my face just went to another shade of red. (laughs) Didn't you know? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Didn't you know? Remember, we're talking about Mary who had an encounter with an angel that said, Behold, you have found favor with God and you will be with child. And not just any child. You're going to conceive of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God. It didn't just stop there. Joseph had dreams, Right? Then they go and they present him for dedication at the temple, and they had several prophetic words go over Jesus. How did they not know? And so Jesus asked them, Didn't you know? Didn't you know? Why were you searching for me? Because didn't you not know who I am? I believe that Jesus might be asking several of us that same very question Didn't you know? Don't you know who I am? The sad thing is, is that they did not understand what he was saying to them. there's two ways that we can look at this story. The first one is is how many of us fail to see Jesus' potential in our own lives? How many of us us fail to see Jesus' potential in our own lives? How many of us are in the same spot as his parents and having the focus on us instead of on him. The other way that we can look at this is putting ourselves into Jesus' shoes. Because you see, Jesus must have felt that his potential was going unseen and unnoticed. Jesus knew what he was capable of and what he would one day accomplish and yet the world around him could not see it. And you feel like that. Have you ever felt like that? You feel like you have unseen potential and yet nobody sees it. You see, being an underdog with unseen potential can feel discouraging, disheartening, and demotivating. Many dreams go unfulfilled because of this underdog excuse that nobody recognizes my potential. Now fast forward to Jesus coming on the public scene. There were still many doubters and skeptics. There were still, I mean, even though he gets on to the public scene, starts preaching, starts doing miracles, he still has people questioning his potential. He still has people that don't recognize his potential. Here are three examples. One is his own siblings and his family. They didn't realize his potential. In Matthew 12, 46, it says this, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers, well, he didn't have plural. His mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Uh, now, let's just think about this for a moment. Okay? Let, let, let me just set the scene for you. Jesus is on the public scene. He is preaching a message. It would be like this situation right here. Okay? And Jesus is in the middle. of, I mean, just knocking a home run of a message out. Okay, I mean, I, I mean, can you like let, let's just picture, like the crowds into it. I mean, like like like, like people are just getting inspired. They they are getting uh, 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 convicted. They, they 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 are getting set free. I mean, things are happening in this meeting. And then all of a sudden, the usher comes. It'd be like if, if, if Boyd came up to me in the middle of this message and said, I'm sorry, everyone, but I, I, let's, let, let's pause for a minute. And then he looks at me and he says, uh, your mom and your brother are outside. They need to talk to you. Jesus is going to be like... In fact, if you keep reading that story, he actually kind of says that I don't know who you're talking about. Is really what he said. I don't know who you're talking about. Listen to this commentary from Matthew Henry on this particular verse. His mother and brethren stood without desiring to speak with him when they should have been standing within desiring to hear him. They had the advantage of his daily converse in private, and therefore were less mindful to attend upon his public preaching. Note, frequently, those who are nearest to the means of knowledge and grace are most negligent. Familiarity and easiness of access breed some degree of contempt. We are apt to neglect that this day, which we think we may have any day, forgetting that it is only the present time we can be sure of, tomorrow is none of ours. There is too much truth in that common proverb. The nearer the church, the further from God. It is a pity it should be so. The very ones that should have been the closest to him were the ones that were on the outside looking in, not because they were put on the outside, but because they chose to be on the outside. His own siblings and his mother did not recognize his potential even after the end of the public scene. Another example of this would have been the Pharisees. They were constantly discrediting and questioning his teachings, his miracles, his authority, his ministry. In Mark 7, verses 5 through 9, it says, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. I love Jesus in the way that he responds. I mean, such boldness. I mean, he just called it like it was. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm just going to call it out. And that's exactly what he did. He says, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. You see, the Pharisees wanted to project their own understanding onto Jesus instead of allowing Jesus' understanding to come to them. That's good the Pharisees had taken 10 commandments and turned it into over 600 different regulations. Like, my goodness, come on, guys. Like, let's keep it simple, stupid, right? I mean, like, why? 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 And Jesus said, look, you're more concerned in keeping the things that you've come up with instead of observing the very things that God came up with. And therefore, because of that, you are going to fail to see the potential that is inside of me. The fact that you can become everything that you talk about if you would just believe in me. But they couldn't get me on their own selves to see it. Then a third example is Pilate. John 19, 10 through 11. Pilate says, why don't you talk to me? Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all. The rest of it give it to you from above. You know what Pilate was saying when he said that? He was saying, Jesus, I have the power to recognize your potential if you'll say and do the right things right now. I can tell you I've been guilty of this in my life where I have said, Jesus, I'll recognize your potential if you'll do it my way. See, Jesus understood something about unrecognized potential. That God's role and God's timing mean everything. When it comes to your potential, your unseen potential, your untapped potential, it's all about God's role in that and then God's timing. means everything. So here's a question that I think we should be asking. What is the danger of unseen potential? What's the danger of unseen potential? You see, the greatest danger connected to the underdog excuse that nobody recognizes my potential is this. Letting those who don't see your potential keep you from reaching it. How many of us have let maybe our own siblings, our own parents, people who seem to be more educated than we are, like the Pharisees, or maybe a leader in our life like a pilot? How many of those have we allowed to keep us from reaching our potential because they failed to see it? That's the greatest danger to unseen potential. You see, I believe that some might be in a season of unseen potential. And if you're in that season right now of unseen potential, where you feel like nobody's recognizing it, you sense it, but nobody else recognizes it. You see, when we find ourselves in that season, we begin to ask ourselves questions like, why bother? Why even try to let the potential come to the surface any longer? Why even try to see the potential come? If you're in one of those seasons, can I encourage you this morning? Do not give up. Don't give up. You want to know why? Because God sees your potential. Even if nobody else sees it God sees your potential not only does he see your potential but God is for you he's not against you and God believes in you somebody in this room needs to hear that this morning God believes in you you feel like nobody believes in you right now but God believes in you and you know what I stand right behind him and i would say this for some, I don't even know who you are. For a lot of you, I do. And guess what? I can confidently say I believe in you. Why can I say that? It's because the day that you were formed in your mother's womb, I am confident that God placed a plan and a destiny inside of you, which means you have potential. And so that's something that I can believe in. I don't care what your past is about you. All I care about is today and moving forward and seeing that potential come from being unseen to being seen, to being lived out. You know, as I think about this, I think about Joseph. Good old Joseph in Genesis, right? I mean, he was his dad's favorite son. I can say that about my dad. I'm my dad's favorite son because I'm his only son. But that's... (laughs) For the longest time, my grandparents, the ones that I lived with, they would always tell me I was their favorite grandchild because I was the only one. And when I was young, I was like, "Oh man, that makes me feel so good. That makes me feel really good." And then I, one day, I kind of had this epiphany: well, I'm the only one. Does that change things? And then, and then, and then, uh, when you know that that was for 15 years, and then my sister was born, and she's 15 years younger than me. So then I I I I fell out of the category as the favorite grandchild. (laughs) Then I became the favorite grandson because then I still was the only grandson. So I will always be their only grandson. Now, so you know I I I I take on so anyways. Joseph was a daddy's favorite, so much so that his dad gave him this beautiful coat of many colors. Joseph had a dream when he was young. And he would begin to speak this dream to his brothers and to his parents. And he had multiple dreams, but they all meant the same thing. And so it was this whole idea that his family was going to bow down to him. Now, can you imagine your youngest child coming to you saying, Well, listen, mom, dad, brothers and sisters, I've had this dream. All of y'all are going to bow down to me one day. How do y'all feel about that? I don't think any of us would feel really warm and fuzzy on the inside. And exactly that's what happened. His parents and his brothers didn't really uh, take kind to of that dream. So much so that his brothers actually ended up selling him into slavery. And that was only after an attempted at murder. They were out to murder their brother. Because they didn't like this dream so much that they were going to kill him. If it wasn't, if, it, if it wasn't for one of his brothers actually having some kind of a conscience within himself to say, look... I don't want blood on my hands. Better, better yet, let's, let's sell, them to, sell them to some slave traders. And so that's what they did. So then he sold into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house, becomes a great servant in Potiphar's house, so much so that he's, he's put in charge of, of Potiphar's whole house until Potiphar's wife laid a lustful eye on him and said, Hey, I like this guy. Wanted him really bad to the point that, you know what? She was going to do everything, flaunt it, do it all. But Joseph wasn't having any of it because he was remaining godly. I think by this time he began to realize that that dream was God's potential in his life and he didn't want to do anything to mess that up. Well, Potiphar's wife didn't like being denied, and so she did her thing and made it out to uh, look like Joseph had taken advantage of her. And so after that, Potiphar gets mad, throws him into into a dungeon prison. He was falsely accused. Joseph was falsely accused. He gets in there. He's in there. Gets in charge of the whole jail. And then uh, a baker and a butler from Pharaoh get thrown into prison. And then they have dreams. And so Joseph interprets their dreams. The baker's dream didn't turn out too hot. In fact, he got, ended up killed. Now the butler he goes back into service for the king. And Joseph said, when you get before him, remember me. That didn't happen until Pharaoh started having some dreams. And then Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Joseph, after that, displays second command over the nation of Egypt. And he leads the nation through famine. Incredible story. Now, Joseph was an underdog who became a hero. But his journey included a dungeon season see every hero's journey seems to include a dungeon season that's that season of in between that's that season between the conception of the dream and the fulfillment of the dream I believe a lot of us are in that spot right now maybe you feel like it's even to the extent of a dungeon season when we're in that season where it seems like your potential is going unnoticed is when we have to realize this truth And the truth is, until Pharaoh calls. You see, Joseph was in the dungeon prison until Pharaoh called for him. You're going to have, until Pharaoh calls, you're going to have to just go back to the dungeon and be faithful with your gift there and find the butlers and the bakers and use your gift on them. Think about this. Joseph had every excuse to say, you know what, nobody's recognized my potential. I'm a done for. I've been, in a, I've been a slave now, and now I'm in prison. I might as well just give up. This dream is not supposed to come to pass. Maybe it was some bad pizza I ate and I had that dream. Maybe it wasn't God after all. But he did not. He stayed the course and he got in front of a baker and a butler who were no better off than he was, and they had a dream, and he could have very well said, you know what? I'm not even bothering with dreams anymore because my dream hasn't come to pass, and yet what did Joseph do? He decided, you know what? I'm going to be faithful with where I'm at. This isn't what I thought it was supposed to be, but maybe this is it. And so guess what? In his dungeon season, he remained faithful. He used his gifts on people that probably didn't even deserve it, and yet look at what the outcome was. Pharaoh... You see, it's God who orders our steps. And if it's not his time to elevate us or for our potential to be released, no amount of kicking, screaming, crying, or whining will change our situation. Because it has to be in his time. Here's three quick things that you need to know about this season. Number one is, you're not alone. See, I believe that's the enemy's greatest tactic when we get into situations like this to make you feel like you're the only one. In fact, some of you are thinking, man, I'm the only one who's got unseen potential in this room. There's so many other people that are living out their dreams. Can I tell you that more people in this room have unseen potential than people who are fulfilling their potential? And I don't say that as a slight. I'm saying that for some that aren't seeing their full potential, you're working your way to them. You're in that process. Some of y'all are are happier today than you've been in years in your life more joyous today than you've been in years in your life because you're finally seeing potential come to the surface. So we need to recognize that if you're in that in-between season, you're in that dungeon season, that you are not alone. And here's number two. This is not a bad season. Sometimes we think that when we get into seasons like this, it's a bad season. You know, Joseph... He can teach us a lesson in this, that it was not a bad season for him. If, it wasn't, if he thought it was a bad season, he would have just sat there and done nothing. He wouldn't have worked himself up in Potiphar's house to become the, the, the overseer of his house. He wouldn't have worked himself up to the position in the jailhouse that he had. He wouldn't have done any of those things if he thought they were bad seasons. Don't run from your pain, like we talked about last week. Your pain can become your platform. And then number three, don't let this season paralyze you. Don't let it paralyze you. It didn't paralyze Joseph, and it should not paralyze us. You see, we live in an instant right now world, don't we? Would you agree with that? That, that? That's the kind of world we live in. I mean, we can download music and books instantly. We can find information in, on Google in seconds. We can know what's happening in everyone's life in minutes on social media. We have everything in our fingertips right now. I mean, my goodness, you could order from any restaurant you want and have it on your doorstep five minutes later. You don't wait on anything. It's an instant now, right now, instant gratification world that we live in. And yet, that is so opposite to how God moves most of the times. You see, we want God to be a pressure cooker, and he's a slow cooker. And that's not to say that there's not moments where he does things in a suddenly moment. There are. But most of the time, those suddenlies are just to get us one step further in the process that's the much bigger process. He knew that Joseph had to go through a season or two to get him to a place where he could actually fulfill the destiny that was implanted inside of him when he was in his mother's womb. That when he had his dream early on, and if he would have been promoted to second in charge of Egypt the next day, nothing would have worked. I mean, think about it. He had to learn how to manage a household. One household. Then he had to manage a whole jail before he could learn how to manage nation so when it's taking longer than days and weeks for dreams and potential to come to pass we get discouraged and it can ultimately lead to us being paralyzed but can i tell you this that the lessons in the dungeon prepare us for the palace the lessons in the dungeon prepare us for the palace Psalms 105:19 says this: "Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Until the time came to fulfill, it's all in God's time, timing, guys. If it's not His time to fulfill the dream that He's placed in your life, He will continue to test you to get you to a place where your character is fully developed, that so you be ready." for what it is that he has in store for you as the keys come up. The next question that we should be asking is this. What do we do in the season between the conception of our dream and when it comes to pass? What should we do in that season? What are the priorities for the season between our potential and when Pharaoh calls? Let me give you three priorities for the in-between season. Number one, we must practice our gifts. We must practice our gifts. Maybe maybe God's placed a dream on you to do something that's community-wide, city-wide, state-wide, nation-wide, worldwide. I don't know. But sometimes what we can do is when we have a dream about something, we get so fixated on the end result that we want the end result right now. Instead of trying to get to the end result right now, why don't you go find a baker and a butler and start there? Start there. Start using your gift with the baker and the butler. Because you never know. It could be the very baker or butler that is connected To the Pharaoh in your life that will call you to the forefront of your ultimate destiny. Mm -hmm. So we should prioritize practicing our gifts. Number two, be faithful where you are. You see, if we're not careful, we can focus our eyes so far ahead that we miss where we are. You know, and it doesn't have to pertain to the church. Pertain to your job right now. Just be faithful with where you are. There's such a, a, a principle in Scripture that is throughout the entire Bible. It's called sowing and reaping. You know, sometimes we're called to a season of sowing in somebody else's field, and it's difficult during those times. Because sometimes we don't feel like maybe the person's field we're sowing into necessarily deserves to have their field sowed into. And yet, that's where God has us. And so we've got to remain faithful in that moment. Because the way that you sow in somebody else's field is the way that you'll reap in your own field. Sometimes you get into your own field. Maybe you're in your own field right now and you feel like, man, I sowed a bunch. I haven't read nothing. It's all in his time. It's all in his time. I mean, personally, I mean, I've been in full-time ministry now. and This is not no great number of years. But I've been in full-time ministry for 16 years. I've been a lead pastor for five. Okay? So, here's the thing. For 11 of those years, I sowed in other people's fields. Okay? God has now blessed me with 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 a field to oversee and a shepherd, and that's what I'm doing. But can I tell you, in a moment of transparency, there's a lot of times where I feel like, okay, God, it's about time that I start reaping. And I don't mean to say this in a in a in a in a, in, a, in, in an arrogant way, but I, I think just there's sometimes where I'm like, God, it's about time I start reaping some of that sowing. And then it's like. He does the whole Marty McFly thing. Hey, McFly! McFly! Because maybe there's a lesson that I still need to learn. Maybe there's some character that still needs to be built. Maybe there's a gifting that still needs to be refined. I don't know. But I just have to be faithful with where God has us. Because I can tell you this. I see a dream for my own life. And there's a lot left to be accomplished. I see a dream for this church. We haven't even scratched the surface. I haven't even scratched the surface of what I see for this place. It's coming. It's coming. And I believe that we're beginning to accelerate towards that more than we've ever been. We just always have to remember faithful with where we're at and be faithful with what he's given to us. Here's the third thing. Learn everything you possibly can. Learn everything you possibly can. You know, you can learn from anything. You can learn in the bad times. You can learn in the good times. You can learn when things aren't done right. You can learn when things are done right. But we always have to keep learning. God never puts you in a place where he doesn't want you to learn something. As soon as we get to the place where we feel like we've learned everything, then we've got a little bit of a problem. Might need our heart and our minds transformed just a little bit if we get to that place. So in that in-between season, we need to prioritize practicing our gifts, being faithful with where we are, and learn everything that we possibly can see, nobody saw Jesus' potential. Nobody saw his potential. And it led him to a bloody cross and a cold, dark grave. But after a season of three days, to be exact, God rolled back the stone and In light invaded darkness. For all eternity, everyone will see his potential. Everyone will see you. Can I just tell you this morning? I believe in you. I believe in you. As I stand in this crowd, I see some of you that are achieving your potential right now, but for a lot of you, there's still a lot of unseen. I believe your best day is not behind you, but ahead of you. I believe that God and his best for you are ahead. The day that that comes to a close is the day that you take your last breath. I just feel so strongly that every single one of you